0: Welcome to the New Life Baptist podcast. Our mission is to love the great commandment, live the great commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's word. So pleased to be with you. For those of you that go to Second Church, I just want to say hello. Looking forward to getting to know you today. Uh, Speaking to adults, how I dress, I don't think is that big a deal. Uh, I could have worn a suit and tie this morning. I could wear this. It really doesn't matter to y'all. But the crazy thing is, even at my age, I'm still speaking to teenagers. I know you think that's ridiculous, but I am. Do y'all know about Disciple Now Weekends? What what I'm being invited to speak to are citywide Disciple Now Weekends, So all the youth pastors kind of get their head together, and sometimes they say, hey, Richard, we want you to come and speak to our youth. I want to say to you that the most recent Disciple Now weekend I did, I I was worried about the young people receiving me because I knew the band was going to be hip and cool, and I thought, man, they're rocking to the band, and then I walk on stage. How ridiculous is that? So, my emotions got the better of me. I went to Hewlin Mall near my house, and I, bought- I can and walk on after the band with skinny jeans. Maybe it will not be totally ridiculous. But as I was getting dressed for the first service, things did not go well. Have you ever tried to pull skinny jeans over an adult diaper? You ever tried to do that before? <laughs> of course, the good news is the teenagers knew the program would be brief, And Cody is saying, what have I invited to my church this morning? (laughs) So I had to wear my Dockers, couldn't wear my skinny jeans, but God showed up and the young people listened anyway. Uh, I can say some things to you guys that I probably would not say in big church. In big church, you've got people, they're all over the map spiritually. I think the people that are in Bible study, little little different cut. My assumption is that if I was using a handheld mic and I came off the platform and I just started walking among the tables, I I have an idea that many of you would answer a question about the same way. Of course, you'd use different words. You're all unique. But I think for the Bible study crew, your answers would be similar. What, What if I was walking among you and I said, what's your number one goal, rearing your kids? Once again, I think you'd say a little bit differently, but I think most of you would say something like, I want my kids to live a life that glorifies God, or I want my kids to make a difference for for the kingdom of God, or I want my kids to live for Jesus. I think most of you would say something pretty similar to that, which means in this hour, I don't have to really develop that thought. I can begin with the assumption that out of all the good things you want for your children or your grandchildren, out of all those good things, most of you would say, I want him more than anything in the life of my kids. Okay, if we're sort of together on that, the question for this hour is, how does that desire that's in you get in your kids? You, you might say, Brother Richard, if, if I know my heart, what I really want is for my teenager to live his life for the glory of God. But my question is, this 14-year-old with an attitude, how do I get him to want that too? Great question. Now, maybe it would have impressed you if I had gone by the seminary where I teach and picked up a bunch of journal articles and research articles, tried to get them on the plane last night to come to Arkansas, maybe come in here I don't know, with a wagon or a wheelbarrow of all that stuff. And maybe it would have impressed you if I could have said, hey, you want to know how faith moves from one generation to the next? Here's the answer. And by the way, we know the answer. We actually know how faith moves from parent to child. But instead of bringing all that research, which would have been a lot of work on the airplane, I decided there might be something a little bit easier to travel with. This this is it's just a piece of PVC pipe. I had the guys at Lowe's cut this off for me. Lowe's is my other religion. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted them to cut off a pipe for me so that I could fly with it, so that I could make a point this morning. If your faith is going to move to one of your kids or, or grandkids, if your faith is going to move to one of your children, It has to pass through something. In other words, there has to be a conduit that is carrying your faith to a child. I only have one living child. His name is Clayton. He's a very young man because we had to wait 16 years for him. When Clayton was a teenager, sometimes he would travel with me, And I would bring Clayton up on a platform just like a morning like this. And if I was trying to make a point, I might say, Clayton, stand right here in front of me. And he would. He's about 6'4". So my teenager would stand in front of me. And I would put one end of this pipe against my heart. And then I would pull Clayton in so the other end of the pipe was touching Clayton's heart. And with us standing here like this, I could make a point. If this daddy's faith is going to become important to this teenager, it's got to pass through something. There has to be a conduit that carries my faith. And audiences would find that interesting. But always the question that remains with people is, okay, I understand, I understand this picture, but what's the pipe? That's the question. What is this that carries my faith to my child? All the research says and all of Scripture says the conduit is a relationship. It is a warm and close relationship between a parent and a child that primarily will determine, will my child take my faith? I'm not talking about how your spouse gets along with the kids. I'm not talking about child one and four. It's how you're getting along with one of them that primarily will determine, will they receive your faith and make it their own? I know in lots of ways this is not rocket science. It's kind of common sense. If two people love each other, if they enjoy each other, it just makes sense that one of them will have more influence on the other. But let me show you what that looks like in the real world. Let me just pretend... I'm a teenage boy, okay? I'm going to pretend I'm a teenage boy. Just listen. Love my dad. He's a good man. I catch him sometimes changing his schedule just because he wants to be with me. I might on on a Saturday morning, my dad might say, son, I got so much to do today, but there's nobody on earth I'd rather be with than you. Why don't you just get in the truck and go with me? I want time for us to be together. And you know what? When me and my dad are together, we actually have a good time. We have great conversations. My dad shows respect for some things I say. I mean, we have a good time. All right, it's not perfect. I'm a kid. Okay, I'll just say it. I do some things that are wrong. But you know what? My dad is a straight shooter. He's not going to let me get, do something wrong and think I can get away with doing that again. No, siree. But you know what he does He just dreams up some punishment. You know, he's just going to give me some punishment, so I'll know I can't be doing that again. But he doesn't scream at me, doesn't holler in my face, doesn't cuss me, doesn't make me feel like I'm about that tall. He just gives me my punishment. We're right back to being friends. I'm telling you, I love my dad. In that situation, that dad has a piece of plastic stuck in his chest And his big high school son has the other end of that against his heart. Now, they don't know it. They wouldn't use that terminology. But the fact remains that the connection is there. Now, every teenager that I'm with, they know that I love and respect them. I do. But I do have to say this. The teenagers honestly think they cook up all of their own ideas about everything. They think they're inventing everything they believe. But the fact of the matter is, they're not. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, they're getting most of that from mom and dad if if the relationship is there. Now, I want to just say something to you men. When I'm talking about this heart connection business, there's nothing effeminate about this at all. That dad could be a man's man. His big high school son could be a young man's man. They might both... I don't know, wear camo underwear. They might just be normal guys, you know. They just happen to love each other, and because they love each other, that dad is influencing that son in ways the son doesn't even realize. Now, if that positive principle holds true, and it does, you would expect the opposite principle to also hold true. Let let me just do another illustration. Let me do a different high school boy. I'm I'm so sorry I have to be a boy twice. I haven't been to California for the operation yet, so I've got to to be a boy twice here. I'm a different boy. Here we go. Here we go. Me and my dad. Yeah, we used to be really close. You know when I was little? You know we'd go on those family vacations? Actually, those were a lot of fun. You know, we might pull into some little motel, you know, with a pool. Me and my dad, we'd be out there in that pool. We'd be dunking each other. I mean, those were good days. I don't know what happened. To be honest, we don't hardly see each other that much. And whenever we are together, I don't know why. It just seems like we get into it most of the time. I don't know why it gets loud, but it does. Okay, some of it's my fault. You know, I do some things that are wrong, But I swear when I do something wrong, I would rather my dad punish me than scream at me and cuss at me, make me feel terrible. I would rather have a punishment. Oh, yeah, I used to be close to my dad when we were little, but not anymore. Okay, in that scenario, a pipe that was in place has gotten pulled out. Now what you're left with is a son or a daughter and they have a piece of plastic stuck in them but there's nothing on the other end and for a while that pipe does what God created it to do. It's sucking. But for a while it is just sucking air. That kid's not getting anything that he or she needs for life and for faith. But kids will not leave that alone. I've been working with young people, believe it or not, for 50 years, and I've watched this so many times. When they hit about 11 or 12 or 13, subconsciously, subconsciously, their little radar starts looking for that one or two or three closest, you know, that little inner circle of friends. And when they find that little inner circle, they give them the pipe. Now, Houston, we have a problem. The pipe is still doing what God created it to do. The pipe is still sucking. But instead of sucking the mature faith out of godly parents, now it is sucking who knows what out of peers. Here's an important statement. The people that have the pipe have the influence. The people that have the pipe have the influence. Now, at this particular point, you've got a daughter sitting at the table eating dinner, and she pops off with some crazy idea about how the world is, and you're thinking, where on earth did she get a thought like that? Nobody in this house has ever said anything like that. Well, she probably got it from the people that have the pipe. Now, I want you to notice We're not talking about being connected at the brain. If you're connected at the brain, you might critically evaluate anything that you hear. But if you're connected at the heart, you don't evaluate. You just take in whatever anybody says. At this point, I've watched lots of church parents kind of wake up and get their head in the game, and they're noticing, hey, there's an attitude here that's kind of new. Or I just got called in for a school conference. I've never been just some little something comes along that says, hey, this is going south a little bit, and usually church parents tense up because church parents are thinking, hey, <laughs> we, 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 we were not ever going to have problems with our kids. This wasn't part of the plan at all, and I'm certainly not going down there to new life, having people look down their nose at me thinking I'm an inferior parent. We're not going there. I'm bigger than you. I control stuff in this house and whatever I have to do to make this stop, I will do that. Well, what that basically means, is it gets real loud, lots of doors slammed, some cuss words, and then everybody walks on eggshells, not trying to blow up again, but they do. So as a youth leader, my question is, what's better than six years of that? Uh, Pastor Cody, brilliant in inviting all ages of parents to be in this room. The fact of the matter is a lot of you with little people would sit there this morning saying, by the grace of God, I think relationships are pretty good at our house. And I celebrate that. But those of you with younger ones, you've got time to really think, lose those heart connections. Some of you with older kids are sitting there thinking right now, how much time do we have left to get that heart connection back? It's a big deal. I don't know what you think about a seminary professor. Maybe, maybe you feel like that's a real cushy life. Maybe you think, oh, I bet that professor gets to go home at noon. He probably spends his afternoon watching Oprah on TV. Te- I, I bet that pipe came from watching Oprah. Actually, No. <laughs> God bless Oprah, but no, this pipe is not from talk shows. Do you know where that came from? From Scripture. God comes to the end of the Old Testament, and as part of judgment, he is not going to speak to his people for 400 years. Did you know that's a long time? It's all part of judgment. So if God's not going to speak, if there's not going to be written revelation for 400 years, wouldn't you think the last thing out of his mouth before the silence might be kind of important? You Bible students are already ahead of me. What's the last verse of the Old Testament? And he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and he will turn the hearts of the children to the parents. Now, even you good Bible teachers may not know this. 400 years of silence, how does God speak the first time to open the New Testament? That's an interesting question. This is not Bethlehem. This is not Bethlehem. This is before that. How does God speak the first time to open the New Testament? God is speaking through an angel. He is speaking through an angel, but it's God's words. And you know what He says? He says, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to the children. It's exactly the same phrase the Old Testament ended with, Luke 117, if you're looking it up. It's kind of like God is saying, can I give you a couple of bookends here? It is the turning of hearts that's going to be fundamental to spiritually developing the next generation. Now, if we had an all-day Sunday parenting conference, you know, we could talk about lots and lots of different topics. But in this hour, I've chosen two topics that I think are most important for good, solid parents. If y'all were abusers, if y'all were drug-addicted, horrible human beings, certainly we would talk about other things. But, but I, I know you would protest this. You're the cream of the crop. You're the best we've got. You're trying to do it right. You're trying to live, raise kids that would live for the glory of God. So what, what do I have to say to the parents that really want God's best? Okay, two topics that I think will be helpful to you. The first topic I want to raise for you, with you, is discipline. Anybody in this room interested in not disciplining your kids? That would be craziness. Now, our friends out in Hollywood and other places that think they're so modern, sometimes they think, oh, that's just old-fashioned disciplining your kids. We're going to let our kids do whatever they want. They can express themselves however they want with no discipline at all. Well, how does that turn out? They, they, those kids become monsters. We see them in the news. It's, it's a wreck. You know why that's true? Do you know why any child without discipline is going to be a disaster? It is because of a birth defect. Every one of your children, at the moment of conception, every one of your children received a birth defect. It's something we pick up from Adam and Eve. It's called original sin, and every child gets it. Those of you right here that have toddlers this morning know... You don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish, right? You don't have to teach a toddler to steal toys from another child. That is just part of their nature. So nobody here would say, oh, we think it'll be a great idea to never discipline our kids. And yet, with my little illustrations about the two boys, with my illustrations, you were already picking up on the fact that discipline handled poorly can wreck heart connections, which then ends spiritual influence, So if we have to discipline, but discipline can be problematic, what are we to do? Okay, right now when I tell you the answer, you're going to go, oh, there you go. You were being kind of interesting, but now you're just going to give us little Sunday school answers that are no help. Hang on, I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to show you how this is not a Sunday school answer. For you to discipline your children and keep a heart connection, what you need to do is imitate your heavenly Father in how He disciplines. Please stay with me. This is practical. I want to show you Father God in operation. He has got His children around Mount Sinai. Actually, He has two million kids. He's a very prolific Father. And uh, they have escaped Egypt, and he's going to explain to them how they're going to live together. And actually, the Bible says God started out saying all this stuff out loud. Can you believe God speaking out loud? Eventually, the people got so scared that their knees were knocking. They said, Moses, Moses, go up the mountain and find out what he's saying, and then you come and tell us. But initially, God is saying all this to his kids. If I can paraphrase... God basically is saying, "'Hey, kids, I'm about to give you laws. "'One list is going to have ten things, "'but I'm also going to give you some other laws. "'I'm going to tell you what's right and wrong.'" And then he said, "'And then, kids, I'm going to tell you rewards "'I'm going to give you if you obey me.'" We call those the blessings. It actually takes a couple of chapters for God to describe all the blessings. Then God took a deep breath, and he said, Now, kids, I'm going to tell you the punishments if you disobey me. We call those the curses. Once again, God is just thorough. Curse, 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 curse. Then he said, Okay, I'm done. Go live your life. He said, I want to make sure you know what's right and wrong. Here are things I'll do for you if you obey me. Here's things I'm going to do to you if you don't obey me. That is brilliant parenting. What does that look like at your house? Take an issue y'all keep bumping heads on. Take an issue that just keeps causing drama at your house. Catch a kid of any age when they're calm and say, listen to me, listen. I'm going to tell you again what you have to do on this particular issue. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm just asking you, make sure you understand what I'm saying. And when they understand the rule, then you say, now listen, if you choose to do what I'm telling you to do, I know a store that you like, and you and I are going to end up in that store, and something nice is going to happen to you as my way of saying, thank you, I appreciate your cooperation. But if you get all big and bad and decide you don't have to pay attention to me, and you disobey me on this rule, we're not going to have any more drama. I'm not going to be jumping around and hollering anymore. I am simply going to punish you, and I'm going to tell you right now what the punishment is going to be. Your punishment will be whatever you come up with. Then you just back off. Now, that's the general principle. Let's talk about an illustration maybe some of you could relate to. I know a lot of you have toddlers and whatnot, but let me just use a teenage illustration. What if you have a 16-year-old daughter, and she's about to get her final driver's license? And in her mind, if you have your final driver's license, if you're so mature, you have a final driver's license, you are so mature, you don't have to pay attention to silly family curfews, that's what she thinks. So you know there's gonna be trouble. So you catch her in a good mood and you say, hey, I know you're about to get your license and I know you think we are Neanderthals. You think we are cave people, we have no understanding of the modern world. I know that's what you think, but you know what? We actually know things you don't know. You think you can get in your little sports car and drive around the back roads around Alexander at 1 o'clock in the morning, and nothing's going to happen to you, we know better. There are sick and perverted people in the world today. They find you out, and about that time of night, they can do things to you that would scar you for the rest of your life. We know that you don't, so the curfew stands. Now, if you're wise and you come in on time every single time, You're going to sit by me on Amazon because I know exactly where we need to go and I'm going to be ordering something just to say thank you for your cooperation. But if you just decide you don't have to pay attention to us anymore and you come in late, I'm tired of hollering. I'm not going to have any drama at all. I'm going to calmly punish you and the punishment is going to be this. Well, What if she does pretty well for several weeks? Comes in on time. But finally, she's out with some older girls, and she doesn't want to be the baby that comes home early, so she just decides, you know what, I'm not embarrassing myself, I'm just going to stay out, I don't care. So you and your spouse are sitting on the couch at home, you're scared out of your mind because it's 45 minutes after curfew, every time you hear a distant siren, it makes you jump, and finally she walks in. Now that you know she's alive, now you want to kill her. Now this is very logical. Oh, you're alive? I think I'm going to take your life. You jump off the couch and man, your blood pressure is rising and your pulse rate is pounding and you're about to say some bad words and at the last possible moment you go, wait, wait, that tall homely speaker we had, he had a different idea. And you take a deep breath and you say, sweetheart, You have disobeyed us. You've disrespected us. You've put yourself in harm's way. I told you there would be a consequence for disobedience, and you get the consequence now. I want your cell phone in this hand. I want your car keys in this hand. You will not see either of these for two full weeks. What's she going to do? Go to her room and close the door. Maybe a little bit hard on the door. Now... Here's the question. What is she doing behind the closed door? Now, I don't know everything about teenagers, but I know a lot. The probability is she is behind closed doors, and she's mad at herself because it's starting to dawn on her what life looks like with no phone, no keys. She'll go, oh, no, that girl that's about to steal my boyfriend. Now my friends can't even warn me. They can't, oh no, this is awful. And I have to beg a ride to school with a freshman. Oh, my love. She is able to think about her dumb decision. You know why? Because she's not preoccupied with you, the monster. What she often does after some big blow up what she often does is think about how out of control you were and how crazy you are and blah, blah, blah. But you take that off the table, and all she's able to think about is, I keep messing my life up by disobeying those people. Now, I know precisely what two or three of you are thinking at this very moment. Two or three of you are thinking, Brother Ross, I clearly see your principle. But you don't understand. At our house, we have a strong-willed child, and I know what my strong-willed child is going to do. I'm going to take something away from him, and he's going to stick his jaw out, and he's going to say, I don't care, take it away from me. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. Okay, you know what you do? You decide at the end of the day, I'm still winning this. You just raise the stakes. You say, okay, bucko, that didn't seem to bother you very much. You disobey me a second time, and I'm doubling the punishment. And if you need to, double it again. Finally, this 14-year-old is standing in his bedroom and he goes, there's nothing left in my entire bedroom. I'm not allowed to go out, not one night of seven. My only entertainment is watching Fox News with my parents. This is horrible. I've got to... And finally, it's going to make sense to him to say, you know, I probably better start listening to these people. If they're strong-willed, just decide at the end of the day, I'm still winning this. Now, let me give you the big aha moment for some of you. If you calmly punish a child without the drama, you are influencing them to make better decisions, and at the same time, you're not doing anything to pull the pipe out of your chest. I want to say something to you that you need to listen carefully to. If your primary way of dealing with the bad behavior of your children is to get mad and holler, you can't find one shred of research on planet Earth that says all that hollering permanently changes the behavior and attitudes of a child. You know what it does do? It just pulls the pipe out. Some of you are doubting whether I'm telling you the truth. Let let me prove the case. Let me prove the case. What if I I stopped the seminar right now? I mean, this would be common. What if I stopped the seminar and said, hey, I've been talking for half an hour. Let's just say, say, who has questions? Who's got comments? I mean, that would be a very common thing to do in a seminar. And so, so what if what if uh, Cody had a microphone and you, and I just asked for comments or questions and you bravely raised your hand. Cody put the microphone in front. What if you said, uh, Brother Ross, appreciate you flying from Texas. Uh, actually, our pastors have been promoting this day for a long time. A lot of us were really looking forward to getting some help today. I, I think I can speak for most people here today. You know, you're an interesting speaker, but actually... You haven't said anything that would help anybody today. What if it made me furious that you would have something negative to say about my my speech? What if it made me so mad I stomped off this stage, I came to your round table, leaned over, planted my hands in the middle of your table, got my face as close to yours as I could get it, and I just hollered at you for disrespecting me publicly. And after dressing you down, I stormed out those two doors... Poor Cody comes to the front and said, Oh, people, we could have never anticipated a stunt like that. We are so embarrassed. But I'm sorry to say that that's the only program we have for this hour, so so I have to say we're dismissed. So so what if you're making your way down the hallway, and and you turn a corner, and just by accident, when you turn a corner, you and I are face-to-face. Okay, okay. Would would my stunt in here affect how you felt about me in the hallway? Absolutely. It would change completely how you felt about me. Now watch. That would be one incident with a total stranger, and you would say that would be enough to change our relationship. But at home, it's not one time. It's thousands of times. Not with a stranger, but with the most important person in your whole world. Wouldn't you imagine those outbursts changing the relationship? Let's put it in positive terms. In positive terms, you guys, at age 18 or age 22, I guess today... You could be out on your driveway saying goodbye to a young adult that is literally driving away to start their adult life. And you could say, by the grace of God, when you put them in the car, by the grace of God, yes, they're going to live in this other place. But there is still a connection between our hearts. And yes, it's going to be a lot of video and different things. But even in the midst of all of that, I'm going to be able to feel that connection even with a young adult. That is possible for you if you parent God's way. I hope your Sunday goes smoothly at the house. Uh, But at the very least, if you happen to be married, y'all might just shut a door and talk and just say, what are some of these big issues that we keep bumping into? Is there a way we we could... nudge those more in the direction of here's some bad things that are going to happen to you if you disobey and here's some good things that'll happen if you can we move those things over so that we bring down the drama and consequently be able to feel that we're staying connected to our kids much more deeply than we were before you know, and it's a hard issue I guess in some ways discipline is a little bit of a negative issue I and mean, it's a hard issue. Let's do one that's a little bit easier. Let me deal with the issue of communication. Did you know there is a way to superglue a pipe into your chest? There's a way to superglue it where it is so hard for it to be pulled out. That superglue is your words that build up and encourage a child. Now, I've got to disassociate myself from crazy people in the world. Every ribbon, every child gets a ribbon. This is not part of that silliness at all. I'm talking about you pointing out truthful, real good that is in a child and blessing them for that. Nothing silly but truth. If I had walked in here sight unseen and I had started the seminar by saying, how many of you feel like it's biblical? How many of you feel like it's a good thing to bless your children, to point out good in them? Every single hand would have gone up. So you might even be asking yourself right now, okay, Mr. Tallman, why would you even bring something up that every one of us know to be true? There's a reason. Because I do this every single Sunday all over the United States and people invariably come up to me afterwards and they say, Brother Ross, I'm sorry to say I knew blessing my kids was important, but I have not been doing that myself. All of you can remember seven days. We can remember seven days. Would you just pull up a little memory? Since last Sunday morning, can you picture yourself stopping a child, teenager? Can you picture yourself stopping stopping a child long enough to look them in the face and tell them something good about them? Can you pull up the memory? Can, can you pull up a memory of you saying something positive that would encourage a child even about their future? Some of you might say, Brother Richard, that's not really a good question. We've had a crazy week. You can't even imagine how crazy. Okay. In the past month, if you did it for one child, did you do it for each of them? But this is what I think. are not mean people. Y'all don't withhold that on purpose. You're not mean. But this is what I think. I think I've learned enough about Christian families to know this. We are moving fast at the house, right? These days we are moving And I wouldn't want to say this in front of a lot of the kids, but it's just stressful having children at home. In the best of situations, it is stressful. And I think what happens is we're moving, moving, moving anyway, and and we just fall into habits. just, would you put that down? Would you stop hitting your brother? Would you da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And what happens is it just turns into this constant litany of don't, don't, stop, stop, improve, improve, Unfortunately, because of the movies, we all know about waterboarding now. I wish we didn't have to know about that, but we now know the terrorists put a towel over somebody's face, and then they pour water, and that person is thrashing around because there's nothing scarier than not being able to get any air. I hope I'm not using a terrible analogy here, but I want to say to you, it seems like we need some help on the audio. Uh, What I'm trying to say to you is this. If you're constantly nitpick, nitpick, negative, it could very well be that your child secretly, quietly is suffocating because they're not getting any positive air. I'm not the student pastor at my church, of course. That'd be ridiculous. But I am a youth volunteer, just like some of you. So on a Wednesday night, our kids coming for youth rally, you know, they're, we're just hanging out sometimes, I might have a boy saddle up next to me. And you know, if they're a boy, you know, they, they kind of have to be cool, you know. But so they might say, so Mr. Richard, hey, hey don't, don't say anything because I know my dad's your friend, but Mr. Richard, my, I don't get anything positive at home. I mean, they're on my case all the time. They tell me improve, improve, improve. And you know what, Mr. Richard, I actually improve. I'll actually take something and I'll actually stop doing something bad or I do something better. And they never say one word about me changing. They just jump to another issue they don't like. I never get anything positive. I'm just telling you that suffocates kids. And I'm just trying to help you go into your own memory to ask yourself, in between the nitpicks, am I pointing out good in my children? Now, fortunately, every once in a while, I'll have a happen. Sometimes a teenager will say, so, Mr. Richard, you know, my dad was sort of, I don't know, talking to me, and... I don't know, he said he thinks I'm like a pretty good guy, and... He said he hires people at work. He said, really, he's good at it. And uh, I don't know, he said he sees some stuff in me that's kind of like what he's looking for, you know, hiring. And he said he thinks some people are going to want me someday. And I don't know, Mr. Richard, I thought that was kind of good. And, you know, our church isn't the smallest church. And he said when new people finally figure out that I'm his kid, he said he likes it. He likes it because he's, you know, proud to be my dad. And I don't know, Mr. Richard, that was kind of nice for him to say that. If I stood here and thought about it long enough, I would cloud up and cry because I love kids so much I want all of them to be hearing words like that. And it's the exception Rather than the rule. What about you? Do you look them in the face, point out the good in them, the worth, the value? Do you help them look forward to a future that's going to be a good future for them? My mother, of course, in heaven, of course. She got that. Uh, When I was 13, I was a mess. Anybody here want to be 13 again? No, 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 no. Hard year. When I was 13, I was almost this tall. I'm sure I weighed 100 pounds less. I'm not making a joke. My arms and legs were like sticks. I'm not exaggerating. I was pitiful. Back then, we did not have acne medication at all. Those of you close enough to really see me know that my scars are evidence that I had the worst kind of acne. There was nothing to be done. My whole cheeks, my neck, were those bright, brilliant red things. You never see teenagers that way today because of the medicine. I was humiliated. My mother, not every day, But some days, she would be at the front door of our house when I was about to scoot out for school, and she would stop me. She would put her hands on my shoulders, and she would stop me, and she would say, Richard, Richard, listen to me to do some important things. Good in you. I can see it. In fact, I think you're supposed to do some important things someday. I want you to know I believe in you. Now, you go have a good day at school. All right just estimate how many years it's been since I was 13. Isn't it interesting that I can remember her exact words after all that time? Maybe another day Cody would say to you that I'm not an egomaniac. I think by the grace of God only I have been spared from that. So please, please do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. Please don't. When I'm standing in front of the U.S. Capitol and I am preaching to 800,000 people standing in front of me, covering them all, when I'm preaching to 800,000 people, do you think any of that is related to a mother that would say, I believe in you? I think you can do something. You write 25 books for the youth leaders. Would you start on the first book, if you couldn't hear ringing in your ears, you can do it. I believe in you. Now today, Richard Ross and his poor departed mother, we are not the issue today. The issue is you and each one of yours. When they're 30, sitting in Starbucks with their buddies, are they already going to be saying well, if I've accomplished anything in my life, I've got to give a lot of the shout-outs to my mom and dad. You know they always believed in me. They always pointed out the best in me. Are they going to say that? They will if you go home on a Sunday afternoon and you bless them and you encourage them. Now, I want to say a word about those of you that grew up in homes that were cold homes. I care about that. Some of you ladies are thinking, if my father had ever one time told me I was beautiful inside and out, if he had ever hugged me one time and told me that I was important to him, it would have changed my DNA. Some of you men saying, if my dad had expressed pride in me one time, it would have changed everything. I care about that. I I wish we could just all get in a big group and just have a big cry. But I want to say this, just decide it stops with me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to, to your grandparents and whatnot, but who knows how long this is. There may be a hole in my heart. Why don't you just bravely say, there may be a hole in my heart. Maybe I didn't get some things growing up that I need, but it stops here. I am going to find some ways to bless my kids even though that's not what I'm really used to from my growing up. And I would say for some of you, maybe, maybe especially some of you men, if you, if you would say, getting those words out is hard for me, okay? If you can't say them yet, write them down. You slip something under a bedroom door, you put a note on a vanity, do you think that goes in the trash? No way. Your child has got a little box of treasures hidden away and your note is going to go in that box of treasures to be reread dozens and dozens of times. And, and, and Dad, if I could just say one more thing to you. If you don't hold her, if you don't tell her she's beautiful inside and out, some scuzzy-faced 17-year-old boy is going to figure out she's got a hole in her heart and he's going to manipulate that for his purposes. Heart connections matter. So I'm encouraging you, while it's still on your mind, you go home and do whatever it takes to begin the practice of, I'm going to bless my kids. Now, habits are hard. Habits are hard. I know that. Maybe this sounds a little crass to you, but some of you might even say, you know, this is going to be so hard for me, I'm going to set a repeating alarm in my phone, and I'm, if I have to, I'm going to depend on a beep or a buzz to remind me, oh, today's a good day to bless my kids. When it becomes habitual, then you won't have to have a reminder. But for now, it can make a difference. What if, what if, by the grace of God, Day by day, you can tell that relationship is getting stronger and stronger, both because I'm disciplining more in a biblical way and because I'm blessing my kids. Then what's the only question that remains? If the heart connection's in place, what's all that remains? What's going on in my spiritual heart that I have to give to my children? For those of you in early church this morning, that's the other piece of the puzzle it's your life in Christ that your child needs. I'm just showing you how to get a conduit into their heart so that you can pass that along. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your head. In minutes we'll be in minutes we'll be off running, doing other things. So let me just give you a moment to reflect. Would any of you be willing to say just in this moment, would any of you be willing to say, dear God, if you will show me how I want to try to discipline my kids more like you, would you just tell him that right now? We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.